The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from WarbirdRadio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening and hope to hear from you sometime at WarbirdRadio.com. G'day, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. And we're from Plain Crazy Down Under, Australia's aviation show. And you can find us at plainecrazydownunder.com. We reckon for the best coverage of the Kiwi warbird restoration and aviation scene, you can't go past Dave Homewood and the Wings Over New Zealand show. On you, Dave. Yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, we've got to get to New Zealand soon. Where is that anyway? Well, it's where I grew up. I thought that was Brisbane. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Hi, I'm Dave Homewood. In this episode of the Wings of New Zealand show, I'm presenting the story of Squadron Leader John Leslie Munro, DSO, DFC, Royal New Zealand Air Force. Les Munro is a very well-known pilot. He was one of the original members of number 617 Dambuster Squadron, but he accomplished a lot more in his wartime career than the well-publicised Dambusters raid. I'm very pleased to present this interview which Richard Carstens and I recorded in April 2010 with Les Munro. Um, and can you tell me how you uh, got into the Air Force and what you were doing beforehand? Uh... Well I was actually farming before the war and after I'd left high school I was, uh, uh, had, uh, uh, went to work on a small dairy farm and then changed that to a mixed, dairy, a mixed sheep and cropping farm. From where I enlisted in, uh, had, well, I didn't. I had to wait until I didn't have to, but I waited until 19 until I was 21 because uh, my parents were a bit unhappy about the prospect of me uh, going to the war and uh, did not want me to enlist until I was 20, and I did that, and I waited until I was 21 and enlisted in uh, in uh, 1940, and. Uh, I was brought up in the uh, uh, late stages of the slump, or during the 19, 
the end of the 20s slump and they'd be in the middle of the 30s slump and uh, they could only afford to, for me to go to high school and uh, uh, do an agricultural course for two years and my academic qualifications didn't uh, qualify me to be accepted as a pilot so I had to do a correspondence course uh, in mathematics, trigonometry, logarithms, algebra, all that type of thing which was double Dutch to me at that stage but eventually it got through, so I didn't really enter the Air Force until uh, July, 5th of July, 1941. Dave, can we ask a couple of uh, quick things related? Um, where were you born and, and what, was, what, was your, what did your parents or father do? Were you a sort of country boy, city boy? Hmm. Um, yep, I was born in Gisborne on the 5th of April, 1919. Uh, my father was a shepherd on a sheep station at a place called Ormond, which was 16 miles from Gisborne on the east coast of the North Island. Um, he worked as a shepherd for most of his life, actually, and uh, I was brought up on the sheep station together with my brother and sister. So uh, we uh, went through uh, the difficulties of... of a family upbringing in, in very strict, very tough economic conditions and uh, uh, I can always remember the problems that my mother had in, in keeping us clothed and, 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 and that sort of thing. Apart from your own family, what did you, did you see any signs of the depression around other families in the community or in the local town or just signs that, that things were tough out there, even outside your family? Like. Not really, because I think we lived out in the country and, and uh, 16 miles, as I said, 16 miles from Gisborne. And we're all in the same, all families were in the same boat, I think, at that stage. And there was no, apart from the, what I would call the landed gentry, I suppose, uh, like the sheep station where my father worked was uh, owned by a fairly well uh, to do family, and uh, apart from that sector of the population, the rest, nearly all the, the people in around the, the, the small, uh, the small township of, uh, of Ormond was uh, really all subjected to the same economic conditions. So it was, there was there was not much evidence of uh, of, of people suffering other in in any different to the way that we did. Was it called the Orm just as a as a personal interest? Was it called the Ormond Station because of the Ormond family? No, not no. The station, no, the station one my father worked on was called Marshlands. Uh, okay. Different name, uh, no, no narration to the Ormond family. No. And and just a question relating to your age as well. Were, did any of your um, buddies sign up like earlier and and sort of disappear off to war and and? leaving you for those couple of years? No, Did you... no at that stage uh, the students at Gisborne High that I was associated with, I'd sort of um, departed, left any close association with them after I left high school, so I didn't see much of those. But my brother, my brother put his age forward, my younger brother put his age forward, and he actually uh, had his 21st birthday when he was over in Egypt. So uh, apart from that, um, no, uh, close friends of mine, one, one close friend of mine, he 
wasn't successful for medical reasons. He couldn't go overseas, but he served in the Air Force uh, uh, on the ground staff. Um, any other close friends, I sort of can't remember, just uh, I lost track of most of them. With, with your brother already overseas on active service, was that was your mother even more reluctant for, for the other son to, to, to not go away before he had to? Was yes, that uh, yes, that would be the position as far as my mother and father was concerned. I think they were concerned. They, they were a bit upset when my brother uh, volunteered and, and put his age forward. And I was conscious of that and uh, respected their wishes in delaying my uh, enlistment or volunteering for the, for the Air Force. Had you ever flown before you were in the Air Force or had you even seen an aeroplane No, I don't think I had uh, even been in an aeroplane until uh, I uh, joined the Air Force. Uh, where did you go into um, camp to start with? I went into uh, uh, initial training wing at Levin uh, on the, what, I think I said the 5th of July 1941. Training from, uh, we only had about six weeks at that initial training wing where we did parade ground and that type of thing and, and uh, uh, paperwork and then was posted to uh, number two EFTS elementary flying training school at New Plymouth, Bellbock at New Plymouth where we flew Tiger Moss. I, uh, went solo there after about six and a half hours, uh, which was apparently was quite good. Uh, and then after a period of uh, two months training, uh, two and a half months training, I think it was, we uh, we was um, we went overseas to Canada uh, on the Mariposa ASS Mariposa, which was an American uh, sea line at. Uh, at that stage, and uh, they weren't uh, Americans weren't in the war, so we travelled on the Mariposa as, as civilians, which was quite a was a, a good example of, of of nice living, put it this way. We had a uh, stewards to turn our beds down at night. There was two berth cabin. I went over to Canada in, and uh, we had a steward waiting on us at uh, at. Um, in our cabin, turning our beds down and making our beds, turning our beds down at night, and uh, stewards uh, serving us at meal times in the restaurant. So it was quite a, an experience. Um, we went to, uh, after arriving at uh, Los Angeles and then uh, back to San Francisco, uh, we uh, went by train up to Vancouver and then across to Canada to Saskatoon. I can always remember that uh, the trip across uh, to Saskatoon from Vancouver was uh, at night time and we had uh, the carriage had wooden seats on it and we, we had to make do with these all night and the planes, the train engine was forever b blowing its whistle and we found out afterwards that was to frighten the deer off the track. So it was a very uncomfortable trip until we arrived at uh, before arriving at Saskatoon and we arrived there in I think the 6th of November it was so roughly then uh, where we trained on uh, twin engine Cessna cranes and we spent uh, and that was the middle of winter when the ground was covered in snow we did all our training over cross-country flights and that and all you could see was the plumes of smoke coming from the houses uh, habitation at, uh, over the across the countryside um, we spent 
uh, we stayed at Saskatoon uh, and eventually got my wings and was commissioned on the same day as 28th of February 1942 before being posted to on leave for, for a short period before catching a uh, ship to uh, England at Quebec. Uh, Cape Town Castle, I think it was the name of it, and it was a fast ship. It was only, I think it was only uh, uh, very few ships in that small convoy, of about four or five ships, all fast, and we made a fairly fast trip across to England. Um, from there, we uh, when, uh, went from one or two holding paddocks, as I called them, or they, uh, to, before being posted to Shawbury in Shropshire for uh, uh, revision of uh, flying uh, on airspeed Oxfords. Uh, did a short period there and uh, quite a bit of link training. And then from there went to uh, 29 operational training in at the North Luffnam, flying Wellingtons. It was at Luffnam that I had my first brush with, uh, with perhaps death, where I had an indication, first indication that perhaps Lady Luck was going to be on my shoulder throughout the war. That uh, we'd done one, carried out one operation on uh, from uh, operational training unit um, on the, I think it was the 14th of August, something like that. And uh, at that stage, it was just not long after the Thousand Bomber raids and the Powers that be were trying to get as many planes in the air at once from their bombing operations and they were co-opting the planes from the operational training units and uh, in this our case Wellingtons and that, well, most of these Wellingtons had been in our, had seen operations and they'd been in many cases uh, uh, were lacking power has, has uh, had been doing a lot of uh, had taken part in a lot of operations and uh, were uh, uh, almost just at the ends of their days. And uh, I, uh, before and on three days after the, the first trip that we did to Dusseldorf, we were scheduled to go to Bremen. Uh, and uh, I, as a, as, a, as a consequence of being scheduled to fly, we had to do fly night flying tests during the, 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 during the day before the, 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 the night operation. And I, can, I was not very happy with the actually plane that I'd been allocated, and complained about the lack of power and voiced voiced concern that was it going to be capable of carrying the bomb load to the target and back. As it transpired, on taking off that night with four or five hundred pounders on board, I never got above forty or fifty feet in the air because it was a full throttle; it wouldn't gain any height eventually clipped the tops of some trees and then settled down gently, gently in, in the middle of a paddock and it caught fire and, and burnt and the crew, as a crew we were all able to get out in time and the, uh, the, uh, the bombs on board uh, exploded at, uh, at intervals and uh, that was my first indication that, that perhaps uh, luck was going to be on my side. From uh, North Luffenham, we were posted to uh, a heavy conversion unit where I flew Lanc uh, Manchester's, which was uh, the forerun of the Lancaster. Uh, for about, I think I did seven and a half hours on Manchester's before taking, uh, before going over to uh, to Lancaster's, 
and on the 7th, 7th of December 1942 I was posted to 97 Operational Squadron and after 18 months had had reached the point that I actually enlisted for and that was to take part in operations over Germany. Can I just take you back a couple of steps there? Um, with the OTUs going off and doing the actual operations, were they just sending the students like yourself or did the instructors also go on those raids? No, they, uh, the students all, the students uh, were captains of the aircraft and they took part. I'm unaware of whether any instructors actually went on those raids and it's a possibility they did but I can't confirm whether they did or not. I would think that they probably didn't. They'd, most of the instructors had seen operational service and uh, while they were probably uh, would, have enjoyed, would, have, would have liked to have gone on, uh, the, the reason they were posted was to give them rest. The reason they were posted to operate it to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, well, operational training units was to relieve them of, of, of having to take part in further operations. So I can't answer that one with any authority. Right. Uh, the other um, thing I was wondering too is, can you tell me what the Manchester was like? What was your impressions of the flying the Manchester? Manchester was like there was, uh, it wasn't very much different to flying a Wellington. Wellington was quite easy to fly. Manchester, for my the short period that I flew them, it didn't seem to be uh, uh, have any untoward uh, vices. Although they, I think the problem of the Manchester was underpowered as far as uh, uh, the ability to carry bomb loads was concerned. A couple of questions, um, Les, about just just prior to the the point you're at now, um, if you can. Wind back. Um, what was the what was the social life like in Canada? And did you feel anything particularly about your New Zealandness? Given all of a sudden you're in with the, you know, flyers from other countries. Did the news did the Kiwis kind of group together? Did you feel very distinctively New Zealand, or did you more just feel like you're an airman? And uh, no, from point of view of uh, friends and. Uh, social activity, interaction between them. All the course that we were at New Plymouth, uh, of course, was posted and arrived. Uh, those that were going to bomb us uh, were all together on, and as arrived at Saskatoon together uh, where there were other uh, groups of, of, uh, of um, nationalities there. can't remember too much of how, what sort of percentages there were, but uh, the bulk of the course was was largely New Zealanders. And um, was there a, a, a quite a strong social life? Like, was it all sort of training and study and practice, or did you go out and have beers and run ramp, run a bit riot, sort of on your days off? Or yeah. no, it, I shouldn't make it probably clear that that. I, I was not. I was a fairly uh, conservative sort of bloke, and I didn't really get stuck into the grog to any great extent. Uh, but uh, there, there was no, there, there was no great uh, social gathering. But there was a bar, and people were, and uh, and uh, 
those that wanted to could could go to the bar in off duty hours and and partake of drinks and that sort of thing, alcohol drinks. At uh, uh, no, to, to to be quite frank, I don't think I got involved in any social life to any great extent. Because Saskatoon was sort of in the wilderness more than, than a city, wasn't it? Yeah, the, 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 well, the, Sas the town of Saskatoon is quite a big town in, in um, Saskatchewan. Uh, I don't know what the population was, but the, the aerodrome itself was just a few miles uh, north of, of, the, of the city. I think it was a city, I'm not sure if you it. At, uh, and it was only a short bus ride into, into town that I where you could go to go the pictures and that sort of thing, and we it was significant. It was I got quite friendly with uh, uh, two or three New Zealanders: John Wilding, uh, Charlie Southroon from Tapaki, and uh, uh, another bloke called I think McDermott. And we would we would go as a group and uh, into town and and either go to the pictures or go to ice rinks. We took up ice skating and went to play and uh, went to, uh, to uh, did a bit of ice skating. That was a hard, uh, hard job, to, uh, hard occupation to, to, to take up and uh, I wasn't very uh, uh, good at that but eventually got there and then we met up with a family and we used to visit this family. They used to take us under our wing and we'd spend a bit of time uh, at that family over and did so over Christmas. They were very good to us, actually. Did, did you request um, multi-engine, or did you get put in multi-engine yeah. versus single-engine? Well, come, come back to uh, uh, New Plymouth. When we were in New Plymouth, we were circulised just towards the end of our period there uh, with our, asked for our preferences. Do you want to be a fighter pilot or do you want to be a bombing pilot? And uh, that, that decided just where you'd go next on your training for your training. Uh, for, I think being a slightly of a conservative nature, and I, don't, I'm not, I really can't explain it, but I think I, I professed uh, a preference for, for bombers, and as a, that's, as a consequence I was posted to uh, Saskatoon. As a generalisation, did you have any sort of perceptions of the sorts of chaps that would request single engine, the sort of chaps that definitely wanted to go multi-engine and then the sort of chaps that didn't care, they just wanted any. Was there a sort of a difference of profile or was it just a, how did well, it? Well, not outwardly I don't think. Um, uh, those that wanted to be fighter pilots were probably a bit more adventurous and, and you know, of that of that nature. And But I do remember one, one particular bloke uh, from uh, uh, over the west coast, I think, who wanted to be a fighter pilot, but he was he was turned down on that basis because he was too he couldn't get in the cockpit. He was a rather well built bloke, and uh, uh, they said, "No, sorry, you can't get in and in and out of a pilot pilot a fighter plane uh, quick enough. So you will have to carry on and be a bomber pilot." So it depended a little bit on on your. Uh, your ability to jump in and out of a cockpit was in a hurry, particularly if you had to bail out. And you're pretty tall and chap mm. as well, so you'd probably be a bit pretty squashed in a, in a, in a cockpit of a Spitfire or something, wouldn't you? Yeah, up, up to a point it would have been, yeah, although I was a pretty slim bloke in those days. Now, the, the crew that you were with in 
29 OTU. Is it the same crew you went on to the squadron with? Yes, except one. I was uh, when I was at 29 OTU, I, I got my navigator, who was Jock Rumbles, a Scotchman, and Bill Howarth, who was a a uh, met up a gunner, uh, a wireless up of Percy Pigeon, the Canadian, and uh, a rear gunner. And, and a bomb aimer, kind of bomb aimer, sorry, I'm a bit there. Bomb aimer was a bloke called Knights. And on the first two couple of operations, ordinary bomber operations, he uh, passed out while we were over the target a couple of times. So he was taken off operations. So I did my first, all my remaining trips at, at, um, at um, I'm going ahead a little bit, at, um, Woodhall Spar on 97 Squadron with a succession of different bomb aimers. Uh, when I went to 617, my rear gunner decided he didn't want to go, so we had uh, uh, myself, my navigator, a flight engineer, uh, wireless, uh, met up a gunner, all stayed with me till the end of my operational career. Um, so what was your impression when you first got onto the squadron? Was it sort of the real thing, or was it not much different from what you were doing in the OTU? Oh, you know, it was yeah, there was a difference there, and that you knew that you were it was, this was not just going to be a, a one-off or something like that. That you were going to be, you were faced with operational uh, doing operations night after night, providing the weather's good. Perhaps it was. Interesting that, that the very first trip I did with uh, 97 Squadron was um, a mining trip to the mouth of the Gironde River in France. And for some particular reason that was the first and only time I really felt fear. And I've never been able to explain that fully. We arrived at the target area uh, at low level and were circling around the mouth of the bay uh, making sure that we're at the right spot for dropping the mines. and. The coast was in darkness, the French coast was in darkness on the hills, and no light showing anywhere, it was looked sombre and, and, and ominous. And I wondered whether we were in the right area, where we were going to be shot at at any time. Uh, and and, uh, for, and I, was, I was just sort of just unsure of myself. And well, it never happened again, successive operations, I never felt that aspect of that, that feeling of fear that I did on that trip. I think it may, I don't know whether it was just because it was my f our first operation on, on, on operations other than the, at uh, North Luffenham, uh, or what, or it, was, it just, the whole the situation just appeared to be, uh, what's gonna happen next? Are we in the right area? Are we gonna be shot at at any moment? This sort of thing, it was probably a new chum uh, reaction. And um, so after that op, were you, between that and the next one, were you kind of thinking, I hope that doesn't happen again, or did you try and put it out of your mind? No, I put it out of my mind, I think, yeah, yeah. Okay. And what, you were at Woodhall, Woodhall Spa? Yes, 97 Scotland was stationed at Woodhall Spa, yeah. What was that like? Was that a fairly big place? Or? Yeah, well, it was, it was a wartime station. Uh, Nissen huts and uh, buildings were Nissen huts and that sort of thing, except for the crowd, 
the control tower. Uh, uh, but the, the officer's mess was the Petwood Hotel in, Woodall, in the village of Woodhall Spa. That had been commandeered by the, uh, air, by the Air Force for, uh, for accommodation and uh, it was a wonderful old uh, Victorian hotel, still there today and uh, a marvellous place and we were accommodating that. that uh, I can remember, I think it was about my whole crew and I were in the one, well the the officers of the crew were in one room, and uh, which today would have been just a double bed uh, couple and that sort of thing. Oh, uh, this, this, and the Petwood was some, some a few, two or three miles away from the village, and so we were transported back and forth by bus uh, to uh, to the station. Um, Flight commanders, of course, had their own vans. Were there many Kiwis on the squadron at the time? I can't remember as far as 97 squadron was concerned. Um, I've never followed that one through. In fact, I've never been asked that question, but uh, uh, I can't remember other, other Kiwis on, on 97 squadron at the time until I, before I, I volunteered. Uh, were you given your own specific aircraft that you stayed with? Well, yeah, 97, it was, uh, uh, it was, they tried to give you the same aircraft, but I was going through my logbook, I find that uh, I, I flew quite a number of different aircraft when on 97 Squadron. Okay. So you never had any nose art or anything like that on, on your specific one? or? No, no. Uh, so how many ops did you do with 97? I had an, another 20 counting the one on uh, at, at, uh, at North Laffinham. I did another 20 on, uh, on 97 and uh, the introduction to uh, op main force bombing operations was really, it was the middle of winter time and we were operating with uh, mainly over 10 tenths cloud, particularly over Germany. Um, and uh, we had the question of, uh, of, of uh, bombing uh, flares from the PFF. They dropped flares uh, from uh, over, over the clouds and our, uh, the, our, our, our job was to bomb the, the markers over the cloud. How accurate that was I've often questioned. And but on the other nights, I think we did uh, first out of the first five trips. I did uh, two to Berlin, two to uh, Bremen, and one to Essen. I think it was. So uh, I was my introduction to to the ordinary uh, main bomber force was pretty uh, severe. Uh, uh, from then on, of course, it was uh, we did. Uh, it wasn't every night that we had to fly over ten tenths cloud, but it was a, it was quite, um, quite frequent, and uh, uh, I think the idea of carrying on bombing, uh, main purpose of bombing, on flares on top of cloud, was to, whether it was, uh, uh, was to keep the, uh, the German population awake. At night and uh, and 
affect morale. I think it was the main purpose of it, as opposed to doing major damage as a result of the bombing. Just, uh, I, I can remember that it must have been clear uh, one of the trips over Berlin, I think it was about the second one I did, um, I think it was uh, it was clear that night and uh, I'd come across the, we'd, we'd just coming finishing the bombing run out of uh, uh, over, the, over the city and uh, it was a mass of waving searchlights, a mass of flak bursting and flyers burning and my Percy Pigeon, my wireless operator, decided he'd come out and have a look. First and last time he did it. <laughs> and uh, he looked back and he said, Jesus Christ, if we come through that, uh, what you can't see, just a demonstration of what you can't see, you don't worry about. <laughs> did you um, encounter many night fighters? And... No, it's uh, rather amazing to... Uh, I, I, we went through... Did all our operations right through on 97617 and never saw a night fighter once. It's amazing. Interesting, yeah. Uh, did, did your aircraft ever get hit by the flak? Uh, we were never... Uh, we were just close enough to get little bits of shrapnel peppering the plane and quite a number of times that happened. But we were never close enough. You could feel the woof from when the flak bursting, which is about the closest I got, except one one night coming back from, I think probably trip to Berlin, we must have strayed a little bit off course for some reason because we suddenly, I think we were pretty, pretty close to Hamburg, and all of, us, all of a sudden there was flak bursting all around us. And uh, I put the, uh, the nose down and throttled forward and managed to get out of it that way. But... Uh, and we, as a result of that, we got a bit of uh, uh, small uh, bit of bits of flak peppering the plane, and I think I ended up with a little bit in, the, in my flying boot was the closest I got uh, to to uh, being hit. But the plane continued to fly, and uh, well, the engines kept going, and that sort of thing. And the, the link was pretty reliable, wasn't it? It was, yes. The link was very reliable. Um, and so. You said you did 20 ops. Would that have been the full tour before you got selected for 617? Or? No, the tour on, on Bomber Command Main Force was recognised as 30 trips. Uh, and uh, But I'd, I'd done 20 trip, 21 trips, I think, in, in, uh, in March, beginning of mid-March, when Squadron received a circular letter from Five Group Headquarters, of which they, which uh, we were part of, uh, calling for volunteers to uh, uh, form a special squad, uh, form a uh, yeah, special squadron to 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 uh, attack a particular target. And uh, after discussion with my crew uh, as to whether I should volunteer or not, they said yes. Uh, they agreed that I should, so I volunteered. And as a result, was posted within two days to Scampton to to, to join this new squadron, which was subsequently called Six One Seven Squadron. At that at that stage, my uh, as I said I'd earlier, I'd had a succession of bomb aimers, uh, <coughs> and uh, but so I went to went to Six One Seven, went to Scampton without a bomb aimer, 
And my ray gunner had to said had said well he didn't want to come with us. He would wanted to cease operations. So I arrived at uh, that's where uh, I joined. I got a new bomb aimer and a new ray gunner, a Canadian Corps Harvey Weeks, and they remained with me except for the bomb aimer. He left me a few trips before I finished on six one seven. I said the yeah. So I didn't have. Uh, no, I wasn't close to, well, I suppose getting that way, but I wasn't close to being taken off operation or, or doing my quota of 30 trips. As a consequence, of course, of joining 617, I carried on straight through to that I finished with 58 trips, I think, without a break. Okay. And so that point where you volunteered for 617, um, you didn't know anything about what you were getting into? No. And so you didn't actually realise how long it would be that you'd be away from the ops or anything like that, did you? No, well we knew what the, way was. the new squadron had been formed for an operation, we knew that. Uh, but what it was, we didn't know until the bulk. A few astute members of the f squadron uh, sort of guessed what the targets would be, not very many of them, and, but uh, the, uh, the CO and the flight commanders uh, well, not to see how the flight command's bombing leader and the navigation leader all knew about the day before briefing. But uh, the, the, the members as a whole were unaware of what the target was going to be. All we knew it was a special operation. And so when you first arrived there and everyone was coming from all over the RAF, weren't they? They were being drawn from different squadrons, weren't they, that were Yes. There. Um, what was that sort of impression? What was, it, what was that like? with all these guys turning up and going. There's a lot of speculation and... Yeah, there was actually, and um, it was interesting to, to... We arrived, I think it was the 23rd of March, and uh, that evening in the mess where they, all these... Uh, all these crew... Well, I was, this is the officer's mess I'm talking about, so I'm speaking of, of that, uh, that aspect, and where we had all these... Um, Blokes of flight lieutenants, squadron leaders, and uh, and blokes with ribbons up was having uh, had been uh, been awarded gongs and that sort of thing. Uh, did uh, create a lot of conjecture as to what we were there for, and uh, we recognised, uh, realised that because of the calibre and the experience of those that are gathering, that uh, they were looking for something a little bit better than. The, a little bit more qualified, capable than the than the Sprog crews that were arriving on on the ordinary bomber squadrons. Was was there quite an up tempo, excited? You know, everyone a little bit of a frisson of excitement of all of of, of amongst the chaps, like compared to the normal mess back in your your last squadron. Mm -hmm. Was there a sort of a real esprit de corps amongst this this like chosen group? There was a little bit, and then. I don't remember it being, uh, you know, people being excited about it because, I mean, uh, the first reaction, of course, would be that, okay, how dangerous is it going to be? What is the prospect of getting out of it alive and all that sort of thing? But, yeah, my memory of, of getting together, my, of, 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 of uh, taking part in the, in the discussions and the, in the mess over a pint of beer and that sort of thing was at times animated, but then the general sense was uh, uh, talking about making uh, uh, meeting uh, the other blokes he didn't have met before 
and getting to know them and who you're going to be associated with. And was it broken into two flights? The squadron was in two flights, A and B flight, like a normal one? Yes, the squadron was formed into two flights. And I, I, I was, I was uh, allocated into uh, to B flight uh, under the uh, under Henry Morsley, who was the flight commander. And um, what about um, Guy Gibson? Do you remember first meeting him? I think we met. I think Guy Gibson was at on the mess the very first night, and he's you know, we got to know him. And uh, personally, I didn't. Uh, uh, I don't remember being introduced to him at that at that first night, but uh, yes, he 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 seemed to, at that stage he seemed to be um, quite um, uh, amenable and a bit sociable and, uh, and and chatted to everybody. And at what point did you um, start flying on on that on that um, squadron for the mission? Was it quite soon or? We got time. I think it was the 28th. 28th of March. I, we arrived there on the 23rd. I think it was the 28th of March where uh, uh, I did my first training flight. At that stage, I think we'd been uh, addressed by Gibson. Uh, I think we were made aware that uh, our emphasis was going to be placed on low-level flying, uh, navigation at low level, and that type of thing. So. We were aware that of the type of training that we we're going to have to undertake. Like from memory, just from memory, I'd have to check that. I think it was the 28th of March I did my first training flight. Had you done much low-level flying before? No, I had. I hadn't carried out any low-level flying uh, on the squadron. Uh, it was taboo, of course, court martial offence, unless it was authorised. So the pilots on the squadron. On six, on the new squadron, uh, took to uh, the training with quite a deal of gusto, and they were it was very it was very popular innovation as far as training was concerned. So was one of the aspects of that, of course, was that the the, the pilots had to be become proficient in judging uh, when to pull up to clear obstacles in front of you, uh, flying at two thirty two two twenty two thirty miles per hour, which we were. It took a little bit of uh, 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 to, of good judgment to be able to say, well, how late could you leave it before pulling the stick back and clearing the trees or the buildings in front of you? So pilots had to become proficient at that. And for first few weeks, there was uh, the odd occasion of, of pilots clipping tops of trees a bit too soon and coming home with... Uh, Twigs and leaves in the air intakes and consequent overheating of engines. But uh, as training went on, that those incidents became less and less. And you started off on the regular Lancasters, didn't you? Yes. Just, yeah. 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 The uh, yeah we yeah we we we, were, we trained on conventional lengths, and it was not until the end of April, early May, that we started getting the modified Lancasters. And. Um, with the low-level flying, and as you said, it was a court-martial offence, did other squadrons that were flying around that area dob you in when they saw low-level flying going on? Because they wouldn't have known what you were doing, would they? No. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, the, the only complaints I think we got was from residents who were concerned about uh, uh, being disturbed by these low-flying aircraft. I don't, 
I'm not aware of any other of any complaints being made by other squadron personnel. Not, I don't think it would have happened, but it might have. I doubt it. There's never been any recorded instance of of, of complaints being raised by crews from other squadrons. And uh, was was this low level training being done at night as well as day, or we? I'm not sure how just how long, but we certainly the bulk the early part of the training was in daylight, uh, but it wasn't very long before we went into low flying at night. But and to to firstly to before changing over to to direct uh, to low level at night time, we went through transition stage of artificial uh, daylight where we. Uh, artificial night time where we had blue screens fitted around the cockpits and and uh, the crew in the cockpit wearing uh, uh, yellow goggles to to assimilate uh, night moonlight conditions so went did two or three training flights with under those conditions before switching to to full moon to flying at night under under in moonlight okay. that's something i hadn't heard before hmm? that's something i hadn't heard yeah, before yeah yeah we well, actually, the first to start with, we flew with yellow, yellow uh, screens fitted around the cockpit, and 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 wearing blue goggles. But that proved a bit uh, hard on the system. I think it created started create headaches, and it wasn't really didn't didn't fully uh, represent moonlight conditions. So they switched to blue screens and yellow cockpits, yellow goggles rather. And uh, to which proved much more satisfactory. That 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 system was uh, was devised by somebody in the aircraft ministry of aircraft production. Was that only used by six one seven, or did other squadrons? As far as I know, it was only used by six one seven. Okay. Um, and so, what at what point did you start to do uh, low level flying over da the dams? Um, uh, the, the practice dams, like that. Fairly soon, I think. We, bulk of the car, I, I can't answer that with any degree of accuracy, but uh, uh, it wasn't long before we started including or the Derwent Water and the Uppingham Reservoir and some of the subsidiary reservoirs was included on uh, along the route. The route took part, took uh, in the uh, flying over those particularly, those dams and we'd do uh, several runs up the dams and to the to the dam wall itself. So then we'd go up to uh, further up and up England up to the Scottish border and then off to the North Sea and we'd fly down uh, right down the North Sea at low level before returning to Lincolnshire and, and Scampton. Okay. Uh, was this training done solo or were you in formation with other bombers? No, it was all done training. It was solo at that stage. I don't, don't remember any formation flying at low level uh, during that training period. We certainly trained in formation after the dams raid on, on, with, uh, in, during subsequent uh, training flights. Uh, perhaps I could add that uh, uh, on one account that I had another second brush with, uh, uh, with perhaps uh, uh, death, 
on, on coming down the North Sea on one trip at low level, uh, at about 50 or 50 feet, uh, and, and it was rather hazy night. It was moonlight, but rather hazy, and suddenly ahead of me I saw a, uh, the outlines of a convoy, naval convoy, ahead of me. And I immediately called on the wireless up to fire, fire off the colours of the day. And the light of the flares, there's barrage balloons up above our, well above our height, attached to the ships by cable. And then they, I pulled back on the column and I went shooting up and without hitting any of the cables or the balloons, which was another, I think, uh, uh, evidence that maybe luck was going to be on my side. Must have given you a hell of a scare. Yeah, well, the, yeah, well, the, 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 the Navy at that time were a little bit trigger happy and used to fire first and ask questions afterwards and that, there wasn't a peep out of them. There was no lights at all. It was like a, a ghost-like appearance they gave off. Yeah, talking about uh, incidents on training, I had uh, was, uh, had another incident when uh, on a, on a cross-country route on training when we were flying, uh, the route led across uh, southeast Lincolnshire, which is a, a great area of, or a large area of fen country, which is inhabited by myriads of seafowl and um, seagulls and that sort of thing. And they would uh, take off when they heard uh, a plane approaching. They'd take off ahead of you in great flocks of, of in great flocks, and uh, generally speaking, you. you they didn't create any great problem. On one occasion, though, this happened to me. A seagull was a rather a bit slow in evading this monster, invading its habitat, and uh, it hit my cockpit right, almost not quite dead centre, but but, and it, it smashed through. It came through a bit like a bullet um, between the air flight engineer and myself, and landed up against the navigator's compartment. If it only been another foot or so to the, my left and they would have hit me on the head and probably, uh, uh, I'm not sure what happened, probably one crashed Lancaster and, uh, and no survivors. So that was another instance of, uh, of where I believe that lately luck was on my side. So can you tell me about when you were first told, uh, well first uh, put on to the, the actual special aircraft, the, the modified aircraft, what were your thoughts then? when you saw them with no, no doors and that sort of thing? I think, I, I, can't, I can't remember with any degree of accuracy, but I think that our, our thoughts were, uh, what the hell are we going to carry? Uh, <coughs> we hadn't, the, 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 the upkeeps themselves hadn't arrived we in concert with the, with the, the Lanker, with the modified Lanker. They arrived, in fact, fairly late in, in the training period. And uh, I think the conjecture was as to, okay, what type of operation is this going to be? And actually flying them without the bomb on, were they quite a lot lighter um, to fly? I think from memory they were a bit. Uh, they didn't have, they, it didn't cause any problems. The, the change in configuration of the no bomb bay and that sort of, no bomb doors rather, and that sort of, they didn't seem to, uh, have any major effect on the ability of the length to fly. Um, and at, at that point too, there was obviously still developing the bomb, well that's what the film shows anyway, I know that. The, um, 
as you said, the bomb was quite late in the piece. Um, and from what the film shows is that Guy Gibson was dashing off and watching all the um, uh, tests and things that they were doing. Um, were you aware that he was sort of involved in that side of it, the, the developments and that? No, all we were aware of was that he was engaged. He, he was spending a lot of time on, on the, um, developing the attack procedures and that sort of thing. And I don't think we were aware. We weren't aware that he was associated with the actual development of the bomb itself, the upkeep itself. I don't think we were aware of that, not until the, the day of the trials, uh, the first day, what was the 11th, 12th and 13th of May. Well, 12 aircraft took part on the trial drops and uh, we had um, six aircraft damaged out of as a, from the splash of the water from from uh, those trials and people said well you know where did you practice what did you do well we never never had any practice uh, because the bombs were uh, the upkeeps were only just coming onto the squadron only a matter of a few days before the actual operation and so if you could describe the trial as a practice, I suppose that would be correct in a sense, but uh, it was really a trial to show to show Barnes-Wallace or to demonstrate to Barnes-Wallace the darn thing that would, would, would work. And uh, I think uh, apart from uh, those uh, uh, altering the speed and the height, I think that was the only uh, change that resulted from the trials. And the, that was with the, the spotlights um, to get the height right, wasn't it? No, 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 That because those trials were carried out in daylight. We didn't need the spotlights. Yeah, going back a little bit, the, the spotlights were developed as a result of uh, flying over the dams at, uh, at low level in moonlight conditions and when the haze, when there was a ground haze and the horizon was, uh, was inclined to disappear. Uh, the, the the problem at that stage that the planes were all fitted with a barometric altimeter, which was inclined to change with changes in sea level pressure. So <coughs> they wanted some method of, of of ensuring that the the altimeter was going to was was reading correctly. So uh, Bloke and again in the Ministry of Aircraft Production, as distinct from the film which showed Gibson, he wouldn't have had time to go to an Insta show anyway, and. Uh, uh, he fitted on the, this, uh, the, the staff of the, um, in the Ministry of Aircraft Production, he, he uh, worked on the, on the basis of uh, two all-doors lamps, one fitted to the rear of the bomb bay, one in just behind the bomb aimers compartment. And when uh, switched on, were fitted so that they, when they, they, the beams would intersect at 60 feet. So, uh, and the idea was that the pilots would occasionally check asked for the switch, the spotlights to be switched on and um, the wireless operator or the, uh, or the dependent on I think the captain of the crew who he wanted, the one crew member would put his head in the side of the cockpit and direct the pilot to go higher or lower and when the beams intersected at 60 feet the pilot would then reset his altimeter at 60 feet and then he could rely on the accuracy of that for uh, at a given time, any. Okay. Okay. 
Um, so do you remember the days that the, the, the day that the bombs actually arrived and you got to see them? No, I don't remember the first. I don't remember the first ones arriving. No, I think my first vision, my first uh, view of the outbreak was on the the day we did the trials when they were attached to the aircraft, and that's a lot of that. A lot of things came clear on that day. But but no, I don't know. I can't remember. Because when they, when 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 the upkeeps arrived on the train, they were stay, taken straight to the bomb bay, to the bomb dumps, uh, uh, and and uh, we wouldn't have had the opportunity to see them anyway, unless we were wandering around that particular area, which we wouldn't have been anyway. So I think the first, my first view, of an upkeep was when it was slung on across the my aircraft, on the trial. Um, so, what was the atmosphere like just before the, the actual mission? Were you guys all sort of keyed up and ready to go after all that training? Fairly confident? No, I can't. I, I think. I think we uh, that we were, while we were aware that there was a special operation, it was just another. It was just going to be another operation and. In the sequence of events that we were taking part in, 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 in attacking Germany, um, I presume I, I can't remember any particular discussion about oh, what are we doing, this house we're going to offer, all that sort of thing. Can't remember that taking part. But obviously, some of the crews. Would have talked about it and how to calculate how, what was to happen. We were aware, of course, that the upkeep had to be revolved at 500 revs per minute. We were aware that it was attached to a, a marine horsepower engine in the rear of the bombers' compartment, and that the uh, that the um, the upkeep was to spin. That was, of course, came to uh, uh, became quite clear on the trial drops on the uh, Chelsea Beach and the Firther Thames. When we dropped these twelve upkeeps, uh, and it was interesting to uh, to feel the effect on the aircraft when the motor was started up and the upkeep was rev rev revved up to six five hundred revs per minute. Again, the actual fine final effect or the final uh, result. Of the bomb being dropped and being re being revolved, did not become apparent until the end of the end of those trials, as to where whether the, the uh, upkeep would would uh, whether the yeah that the upkeep had was to to was to meet the dam wall at the at the at the water level of the, of the dam, and uh, even at that stage. Most of us were not aware that they were, they were, we were to attack the Mona and the Ada dams with the upkeep. That didn't become clear until actual briefing on the afternoon of the raid. But can you tell me about the briefing then? What was that like? Um, yeah, but we all filed in. I think the, f the, 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 the interest of nearly all the crews was centred on the, uh, on the the big, the, the the operations board and 
where it showed the uh, the tapes leading from base to, 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 to the dams to across Germany. I think the biggest concern with uh, with most of us is the fact that the route lays up, mainly up through the, the Ruhr Valley, probably the most heavily defended area uh, in Germany. And I think that caused more concern amongst the crews than the actual attack, than the, than, than the actual fact of having to attack the dams. When they, all these pieces that have been coming to, over time, they all came together in that briefing and you all were suddenly aware of everything. Yeah. Was that almost a bit of a relief to know? Or? I think, I'm not sure it was a relief. I think, as I said, the immediate reaction was about the route and how we'd get there. But, yeah, it was... It, the, 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 the result of all our training became clear. Uh, that, okay, this is what we're going to do. And I think, yeah, there was a sense, I think, of relief that we were now aware what we're faced with. I think in that respect, yes, there was. So um, what time of the day was that briefing? Was that sort of early? Oh, I think, I, I, yes. Um, reports say four o'clock. I think it would be about right. There's, there's been an argument about how many briefings there were. There's, it's recognised that... Uh, that uh, uh, the AOC five group had, br had briefed the station commander, the Kai Gibson wing commander, the two flight commanders, the bombing leader and the uh, navigation leader the day before on the 15th. That seems to be quite clear. Uh, there's an argument about uh, whether there was a general briefing on the on the. 15th for all crews, but I'm almost certain there's no there's no record of that having taken place. But although some some members have said that yes, there was a briefing, but uh, I'm almost certain there was no general briefing until uh, the afternoon of the 16th today. We were the, the afternoon of the of the night attack. So after the briefing, what was the next procedure for you? Was it just preparing to go, or did you have a bit, bit of a rest period? Or yeah, well, depending how long. I, I'm not quite sure how long the briefing took. We were pretty well briefed, and then the, uh, I think the navigators and the bombers, um, after the general briefing, were briefed separately, uh, and then we all went to the messes and had uh, uh, operational meal. And in due course, uh, when the time came, to, we took off to the flights, got our gear, and took off to the planes. the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.